I'm going to start off this morning with uh, a few quotations from uh, famous Christian missionaries from uh, the past, and uh, I'll ask you just to try to identify what you think is what these quotes have in common. So I think you'll see them on the screen as well. First one is by C.T. Studd. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I love that quote. Just this sense of knowing what Christ has done for us, then no sacrifice is too great. Second quote by Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China, really pioneered some work there. Here's his quote, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work, God's way never lacks God's supply. Third quote by William Carey, who went to India and really pioneered missionary work there, expect great things from God attempt great things for God. Expect it and then attempt it. So as you're thinking about what those three quotes have in common, let me just introduce myself. I'm Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor and to our Harbor online community. Welcome. Glad that you are a part of our church and all that's going on here, uh, here during the weekend this morning or whenever you're watching. So what do they have in common? Here's my three answers. What I appreciate about those quotes, one is, and the reason I chose them is hopefully they're a little inspirational. They're a little motivational. You read those and you say, okay, I want to do something. I want to live my life for God. Here's the, the second thing that I think they all have in common is they, we get a sense as you read the quote of the person's faith in God the depth of their faith and knowledge of him. Each of those quotes, if you sort of work it backwards, speak to a depth of relationship and understanding of who God is and what he has done. And the third thing I think they all have in common is that there is an implied, and it's implied, impact on people's lives. And again, knowing that they're missionaries helps in that. Certainly those quotes represent more than just impact on people's lives, but we certainly would say that at some point it has to be God using us, using them to touch other people's lives. So those are the three things I think find in common. But let me show you another quote now from Jesus, from the scripture we read today. And I think it's very similar. Here's what Jesus said. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than, th than was sown. I love this vision cast of Jesus. I think it's very similar to the other ones, right? He's saying there's some soil, and when this seed gets into it, this soil multiplies 100 times. There's this amazing growth that happens in some soil, in this good soil. And I think Jesus wrote that for much the same reason, to inspire us, to have our hearts stirred, to say, I would like my life to be multiplied out a hundred times. I would like my life to make this kind of difference. And so as we think about this vision cast of Jesus, which we come to, and you can see why other people had great vision, because they, Jesus had that kind of vision, here's the question, well, how does that actually become a reality? How do we become good soil people? How do we see God multiply in our work? And Jesus, in the text in Luke 8, here's what he says after he explains the story. He says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now it's interesting, we probably would have answered it this way. He who has hands to work, let them work. Right? It would have been the idea, what do I have to do so let me engage? Jesus does not say that. He doesn't say get to work. He says you've got to hear something. Hear what I'm saying. You have to understand it. He's not just saying you've got it, you've understood it, now go apply it. He's saying you don't understand something. Make sure you hear clearly what I'm saying and make sure it goes down deep inside of you. And when you get that, then you produce multiply, then you have this multiplication effect, this amazing growth. And so Jesus now comes into this parable and is going to teach us what keeps us from getting the soil deep down, what keeps us from truly hearing and understanding and thus having a life that multiplies. And so that's really what the parable is. Jesus is casting a vision, but he's saying, here's what's going to keep you from being good soil. So it's, hopefully you've got your Bibles. You can open them up or turn them on. We're in Luke chapter 8. And I just briefly want to walk us through uh, this parable. And this is sort of into a new series that we're entitling. And you'll see it come up on the screen. Uh, It's titled, let me see what it's titled. (laughs) Who do you say that I am? And here's sort of the flow of Luke that he's laying out in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is starting, and the way Luke writes this, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then we're going to go through a section of stories. And then at the end of those stories, Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? So he starts with, everyone listen closely. And then in the middle, he gives all of these, we're going to see all of these proofs to prove who Jesus is. And then at the end, Luke asks the question, or Jesus asks it, Luke records it. Now that you've seen all the proof, now that I've told you to listen closely, who do you say that I am? And so that's where this series ends with that question, but all the proofs along the way, this is just the opening where Jesus is reminding us to listen closely. The other thing that's happening in Luke is Jesus is dealing with growing crowds. And as we've gone through this series, you see how it started small, but now there are more and more people following him and Jesus knows the crowds are fickle. They're interested, but they're superficial and they will lose, they will leave him shortly. He knows he's popular, but it's not going to last. And so he's speaking to the crowds and he's trying to filter them out. He's trying to say, here's what you really need to hear to stay committed to me. And so he gives this parable to help us in this journey. So it's Luke chapter eight. We'll, uh, you've already heard it read. There's three main things you see in this parable, the seed, the farmer, and the soil. Let me just first answer what those are. The seed is the word of God. The seed is God's truth. And we could say it's all of God's truth all together and how we respond to that. But we could also say it is the truth of the gospel. What it means to trust in him and to follow him and turn from our sins. So it's more than the gospel truth. It's more than just there's a king and you need to follow him. But it's certainly not less than that. So the seed is that truth. The farmer is throwing out that seed. And in this story, the farmer is literally Jesus. This is what he's been doing. He's been throwing out the seed, the seed of his truth, the seed of you need to turn from your sin, need to follow me. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. And so the farmer is Jesus, but the farmer could also be anyone who ever shares the good news of the gospel. But in this story, specifically, it's Jesus, but it certainly could be any of us at any time who share that good news. Then what is the soil then? What does the soil represent? Well, it would represent our hearts 
or our minds. And, and I've gone with heart because mind just seems more intellectual. And I think as Jesus is speaking here, it's the soil represents our hearts, sort of our total being, both in our minds and our emotions, how we receive his truth. And Jesus is saying there's good soil. There's good soil that receives my truth and has an amazing growth to it, has a multiplied effect. But then there's these three soils that don't have the same effect. And he's helping us understand those so that we can be good soil. So what I'm going to do is just simply walk through the four soils, explain what they are, and then try to turn them all into positives. How do we make sure in the first three cases we don't become that bad soil? So look down in your Bibles, Luke 8, chapter, or sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Here's the first soil, and this is Jesus' interpretation of it. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So what's this first soil? I'm simply just calling it the trampled path. The seed, the word of God, the message has fallen on a path. And what does that represent? It represents a hard heart. People aren't just willing to hear the truth of the gospel. Their, their lives or the path of their lives for whatever reason has been hardened, trampled down. And so what's the positive? What's the reminder for all of us how we make sure we're good soil? And you'll see it on the screen. It's simply this. We nurture a soft heart. If a hard heart keeps us from hearing the word of God, then we must be people that nurture a soft heart. I have so come to appreciate this parable. As some of you know, for about the last three years, I've had opportunity about once a week to go out uh, to ask people, ask strangers, whether knocking on doors or some public place, people walking on the street. And there's been teams of us that have done this. Ask people if we could pray for them and ask people if we could share the gospel. We're almost three years into that journey, and here's what we've learned. 40% of strangers will allow us and welcome a prayer. And then 30% of total people we engage with actually are very open and willing to hear the gospel presented to them. I find those stats amazing. If you had told me that 10 years ago, I would have told you you're a liar. 40% of strangers will welcome prayer, and 30% will welcome a gospel share. But over three years, I ran the stats today, I, or this week, just to make sure they're accurate. It's 40 and 29.6%, just to be accurate. But people are open to hearing and receiving prayer and hearing the gospel. And so I've had opportunity with many people to there and to proclaim the word of God, to draw it, as some of you know we do with the three circles. And oftentimes, what people say as you think of us going out doing this, you say, oh, you must get a lot of hard questions. You must have to do a lot of apologetics, and I could never do this because I don't know the answers to all the questions you get. Let me say this, it's not true. We get very few difficult questions. In fact, there's not a soil of the four soils where, where it's the questioning soil, the hard, you know, the, the critical thinking soil. That's not one of the four soils. This soil is the hard heart. And so I've seen this play out tons, tens, if not hundreds of times, where I've proclaimed the gospel to someone, done my best, and said, you need, this is true. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Make him king. He will forgive you and secure your eternity. He will give you new life. I've proclaimed that many times. Very rarely do I get apologetic questions, but often what we find is a hard-hearted person. 
Their hearts are just not open to it. I sort of interpret as they know this is true. They know it's true, but yet they just don't want to respond to it. Three reasons our hearts get hard. The first is pride. And we see, I see this play out all the time. Someone says, you know, I'm just fine. I, I know it's true, but I want to stay in control of my life. My life is going good. Everything's okay. I want to do it on my own way. And it's pride that says, God, I will not relinquish control. The second thing I see play out is fear. Oh, I know this is true, but I just can't give my life over to you, God. You'll, you'll ruin it. You know, you don't really love me. You might call me to change my lifestyle. You might call me to alter something. And I, again, don't want to give over control. I want to stay free. And then the third thing we quite often see after we've proclaimed the gospel is that there is the reason the hardness is there is because of bitterness. And I understand this one. People have had experiences, the hurts, the pains of life, sometimes from the church itself, sometimes from other Christians, and their hearts have just gotten hard. And they've said, you know, I just, I just cannot go down this path. My encouragement to someone in that category, or if you're in that category this morning, You've been hurt once, and I think if I was in your spot, I would feel exactly the same way you feel. But I, I would say this, don't let anyone destroy your relationship with God. Don't let any event, any person destroy your relationship with God. It's too important. In fact, if you let that person or event destroy your relationship with God, they've really hurt you twice. So as we think about this, how do we be good soil? We keep our hearts soft towards God. We nurture a soft heart. Now, how else, how might God soften someone's heart? And I was trying to think about this. If these are the barriers, if this is what causes hardness, how does God soften our hearts? How does he soften dirt, I was thinking? And here's the two ways. If you've got a hard path that's, you know, that's, that's, that's hard, been trampled on, how does, God, how does that get uh, softened in nature? Two ways. One is there's an ongoing storm, you know, a big rainstorm or lots of water falls on that. The storms of life can soften a hard path. Here's the other way. You just get out a rototiller or you plow it or you till it. That certainly softens up hard dirt as well. Here's what we know, and maybe some of you are right in this stage. Sometimes God sends the storms of life. Sometimes he sends a rototiller. And we're like, God, what are you doing? But he is using those things to soften your heart. You've been hard towards him. You've pushed back on him because of fear or pride or bitterness. But God has a way of softening our hearts saying, won't you come to trust in me? Turn from your sin. Make me the king of your life. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and God has been working in your heart, you know you're not a follower of his. My request, my plea to you today is wouldn't you turn from your sin? Wouldn't you turn and put your trust in Christ Surrender your life to him. Put him in charge. Leighton, I so appreciated your baptism and how you said it. Here, I wrote it down. You said, I'm relentlessly drawn back to the cross where Jesus' perfect sacrifice fills me with all the peace and hope that I need. Amen. And some of you with a hard heart may be relentlessly being drawn back to the cross today. Wouldn't you come and turn and put your trust in Christ today? Just make a decision in your heart, Jesus, I receive all that you offer me. That's the first type of soil, the hard-hearted soil, and we remind ourselves to nurture a soft heart. Here's the second type of soil. Go down to verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, they, but they have no root. 
They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. This is simply shallow soil. The rock wasn't interspersed with the, the dirt. It was underneath, and it wasn't, available, it wasn't visible from the surface. This represents a superficial heart. It's the person that hears the good news of Jesus, and they say, this sounds good. And initially, there's a response towards it. I want that. I want to be a part of that. Again, the good news sounds good. But yet the person never truly repents. They never truly grapple with what Christ has done for them on the cross. They never grapple with the idea of making Jesus king and sacrificing for him. And then we see what happens. There's great joy. This looks really good to start. Oh, this is exciting. Jesus is going to forgive my sins and fix my life. But then what happens? A time of testing comes. Suddenly something happens. The scorching heat comes out and begins to affect this soil. And the emotional, joyful, initial commitment, it begins to wither. Because it wasn't profiting them. It wasn't of any value anymore. What's the problem? They never got their roots deep down into the soil. The seed, they never let the seed penetrate into the soil of their lives. It's just like Jesus said, it's a depth problem. And so here's the second thing we remind ourselves. How do we not be this second type of soil? Here's the positive way of saying if We devote time to going deeper. We just simply devote time to going deeper. It can't just be a superficial, emotional commitment to follow Christ, but we must set aside time to go deeper in our faith so we get our roots deep down. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Two quick slides that help us understand this. Number, you'll see the next slide here. The number one way we get our roots deep down, the number one way we put our roots down is by getting into the Bible. I've put up this study Bible, the ESV study Bible. I use it just about every day. I think it's the best study Bible available. You read the text, and then it gives some wonderful understanding in short little ways where you can understand and really begin to grow in your faith. Here's what Jesus is telling us. If you want to survive the testing that's going to come, get your roots into the Word of God. This is what he says. Now, 2,000 years later, there's all sorts of surveys out there. People survey and study these things. You know what they've discovered? The, very, the number one indicator of whether we're growing in our faith is our time in the Word of God. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But we're discovering it to be true today. Here's how we say it at Harbor, 15 minutes every day in the Word of God. That should be the minimum for all of us. 15 minutes every day in the Word of God, not in a devotional book, not reading something else, but actually with the Bible open, reading it, journaling about it, thinking about it, praying over it. It's the greatest thing we can do. If you want to get your roots deep down, get a Bible and dig into it. Read the Bible. Be there in the Word of God. Now, let me put up the next slide here, which sort of undermines what I've just said, and that's not the purpose of it. But sometimes people do ask me, what book should I start with? And I would say it this way. If you're not starting with the Bible, then please ignore this slide. But if you're in the Bible, then these books here are helpful. Three books that I want to highlight. Need to Know, which is a great book for new believers. I like it because of its brevity. The Walk, which is 12 lessons. It's really well-ordered steps. You could do it yourself. You could do it in a group. And then lastly, because, and this is a classic book by John Stott, because of its really practical theology, a book called Basic Christianity. And if you're interested in those books, I would read them in that order as well that are listed on the slides. That's how we get our roots deep down. So the first so soil is hard, so we nurture a soft heart. The second soil is shallow, so we take time to go deeper. 
The third soil, let me read it for you. It's in verse 14 in your Bibles. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This third soil is simply the weedy soil, and we might call it the divided heart. Again, it's a superficial commitment to Christ, no real true repentance and turning to him. And you might say, well, what are these weeds? What are the weeds that we have to pay attention to? Well, the good news is Jesus tells us exactly what the weeds are. Look down there at the end of verse 14. He lists three weeds, and you're going to know these weeds very well. The weed of worry. Do you see that? The problems, the pressures, the concerns, the stresses of life that consume us. What has a potential to choke out the seed of the word of God in our lives? Simply all the worries of our life. Jesus lists a second one. He says riches, I'll call it wealth, the pursuit of more, more and more and more. You know, career advancement, more money, more things, more stuff, whatever it is, the pursuit of wealth can choke out the word of God in our lives. And the third one, it's pleasures. The pleasures of life, the fun, the hobbies, the indulgence, it's living for the now, living for the moment, living for those things, for the pleasures of this life. Anyone know these weeds? I bet of the three, worries, wealth, and pleasures, you can probably identify which one is usually the biggest in your life. We usually have one of the three that we are more predisposed to, but they're all there and you can see them. And so then, how do we then, what is the positive here? What must we do to prevent the weeds? You'll see it on the screen. Here's what I said. Ruthlessly eliminate distractions. Ruthlessly eliminate the weeds from your life. Even as I said those weeds, you know what yours are. Be ruthless. It is literally killing the spiritual life inside of you. And you may now look and say, well, that other person's doing the same thing I'm doing, and it's okay for them. Shouldn't it be okay for me? No, that's not the point. It's your weed. It's killing life in you. They are deadly for you. Eliminate it. Ruthlessly eliminate those things from your life. Now, let me just talk about one thing in particular. I don't think it's a weed, per se, in these three categories. I'm going to call it the fertilizer that helps keep these weeds growing that just sort of gives all three of them life. And over the last years, I've been in a lot of groups around Harbor, and uh, whether I'm leading or someone else is leading, I always like at the end, where we come to set a goal and someone asks me, Jeff, how are you gonna connect with God this week? I love that question because it forces me to say a goal out loud and then know I'm coming back next week, I'm gonna report on how I did in that. The accountability has been wonderful in that. But as I have seen that play out hundreds of times in all sorts of groups environments, here's what I've never heard anyone say. I've never heard anyone say, here's my goal for this week. I just would like to spend more time on social media. You know, I just need to be scrolling a little bit more. I got away from it last week. But I need to come back. You know, I'm seeing those great quotes on Instagram or I'm watching some great TikTok videos and I just need more of that to boister my faith and connect with God. I've never heard anyone say that. In fact, I've heard people say the exact opposite and it doesn't even really answer the question. How do you want to connect with God this week? What I quite often hear people say is, I just need to spend less time on social media. And it doesn't quite answer the question, but we all know it's true. 
that social media can be like the fertilizer that feeds these weeds. Now, I know God can use anything. He can even use social media. But let me just say this about social media. I could now find a number of slides and studies and put them all up for you to prove to you by statistics that social media is bad. I could do that. And I could put up slides that show that screen time with social media is not like any other screen time. It really is harmful and destructive, but I don't need to do that this morning. Maybe five years ago, I might've had to build the case, but today, here's what we all know. Social media is bad. We all know that. You don't need a study to tell you that. It's harmful. At best, social media is a waste of time. But it mostly is harmful, destructive, and deadly. And so if you want to think of what a weed is today, it is the fertilizer that grows the worries, the wealth, and the pleasures of this world. Here's what I'm recommending. Less time on social media. Less time on social media. Here's what you can do today, and you're free to do this. There's no law that says you can't. You can just quit social media altogether. You're totally allowed. I give you permission. You won't miss out on anything. I Trust me. You can just quit it all. But if you're not ready for that plan, here's what you could do. You could delete one social media app. Just one. Maybe you've got five or six on your phone. Just choose your least favorite and delete it. You go to it last anyway. Just get rid of it. It would be one less social media. Here's the other thing you can do is just turn off all your notifications. No more of those red little dots, things coming down, things beeping. Just turn them all off. So at least then you have to take the effort to go to the app and look. But whatever you have to do, less social media. It is the fertilizer that grows these weeds that destroy God's work in our lives. Parents, do whatever you can to delay your kids getting on social media. Bribe them, blackmail them, distract them, whatever it takes. Take that in context. But do that. It's well worth it for their souls and for their spiritual lives. There's now all these great things you can buy to block and filter internet. There's all sorts of ways you can find boundaries to do that. So parents, be aggressive in doing that. It is well worth it. And then for all of us, Let's model well for those younger than us what it looks like to be free of social media, for it not to be a distraction. Let us all model that well. So that's the weedy soil, the divided heart. How do we respond? We just ruthlessly, ruthlessly eliminate distractions. Then there's the fourth soil. This is the one that Jesus wants us to get. It's the vision statement. Here's what he says. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word of God, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the fourth soil is the good soil. What kind of heart is it? It's a noble heart. And what do they do? They retain it and persevere in it. That's how Luke says it. When Matthew tells this parable, he says they understand it. When Mark writes it, he says they accept it. It's the idea that it's not just a surface hearing with some immediate emotional reaction, but it actually is an internalization. It's going deep into the word of God. And so here's what I would simply call the fourth soil, and you'll see it on the screen, is the fourth soil obeys what God says. How do we be fourth soil people? We just simply obey what God asks us to do. James 1.22, he says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Amen. 
And parents, you maybe have had a moment like this or someone else with a sarcastic child and you've asked them to do something and then they don't do it and then you say to them, did you hear me? And what do they say in their sarcasm? Oh yeah, I heard you fine, right? And, but they haven't moved. And you're like, you know, this wasn't a hearing test I was doing here. I know your ears work. My point was, did you hear me? Are you obeying? This is the same thing Jesus is saying here. It's not just hearing for the sake of hearing. It's, are you going to live it out? Are you going to obey what I say? And he says, you have to retain it, get it in deep obedience, and then continue to persevere in it. Persevere in it. It implies that it's hard, that you have to keep going at it. And so then what would we say we persevere in? What would we say we have to get deep into us? I think if you go back to those quotes at the beginning, what was in those three men's heart? They had this deep love for God and a love for people. You could say what was deep in them was the great commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love people as yourself. It was this idea that they had this depth of faith in God. That's what we want to persevere, and that's what we want to go deeper in the great commandment. But we would also say there's a people impact here. It's also not just going deep in our love for God, but it's love for people. And that leads us to the Great Commission to say, Jesus, I want to go and make disciples and baptize people. What is good soil people? People that love God, love, love others, and are going and making disciples and persevering in that. And so as you would think about that, I'm so pleased to see a baptism here at Harbor this morning. Over the last 10 months, I tried to do, a, this is about accurate, I might be a little bit off, but in the last 10 months in all of our churches, averaging it out, we have baptized about a person a week. And so I praise God just for his work in so many people's lives. But even as we mark today, what I'm loving all the more is there are more and more people in the tank doing the baptisms. Isn't that wonderful? What we're marking in those moments is that there are more people who are making a spiritual difference in other people. And let me say this, it's not just the person in the tank, right? If we had the person baptized, if we were to say, who are all the good soil people in your life that made a difference? It would be way too full in there to do the baptism. So we choose out a couple, but there's many good soil people that, you, that are used to make an impact in someone else's life. And so as we think about this good soil, part of it is loving God, loving people. Part of it is going and making disciples. How might that play itself out? How, what, 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 what am I observing in people who are good soil people? Those who are involved either in the tank or involved in helping someone move forward in their spiritual journey and those who are making disciples. Here's two qualities I'm seeing. They're praying. They're just calling out on God. Again, the depth of that. Regular prayer, regular time in the word. And they would say, I'm praying imperfectly. And if it depended on my prayers, nothing would happen. But God is gracious. And then here's the second thing I'm seeing. And those of us around Harbor that are making disciples, they're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the gospel. What I love about the farmer in this story is he's not particularly very accurate with his seed, is he? He's just throwing it everywhere. It's on the path, it's in the weeds, it's in the shallow soil. He's just like, I'm just going to get this seed out everywhere. Wherever it can go, I'm just going to share the good news of Jesus. And that's all my responsibility is. But it will land, some of it, the farmer knows, will land in good soil. And then God does the work after that. 
And as I look around Harbor and see God's work in our midst, I think, and if you were to ask me one reason why I see God being at work in us is because we are a church that's just faithfully sharing the gospel faithfully spreading it out and sharing it. Some of us out in the harvest every week. But let me say this. When we say we go out in the harvest, we say it this way. Organized public evangelism leads to organic personal evangelism. And so what I see spreading throughout Harbor is this organic personal evangelism. I see that spreading all over the place. And I'm delighted. Everybody throwing seed everywhere. And God is using that. And so Harbor... Let's keep making disciples. Let's keep being good soil. Let's keep going deep in the word. Let's keep praying and let's keep spreading gospel seed. And if you look at all of our baptisms over the last 10 months, you will see the, the best place to sow gospel seed is in your own relational world, in your own oikos. And that's where we're seeing so much fruit come from. So keep sowing gospel seed there. Let me just say a couple other things as I wrap up on this fourth soil that I think are encouragements to us. It's a good illustration because soil, because multiplication is never a matter of overnight success. This is not, he, they threw the seed and it grew up immediately and was a hundredfold. It's not a single moment, but it's a period of time. And so we understand that we have to persevere. We have to nurture the word of God in us. It takes time to bear fruit. So if you're saying, I'm doing things, God, I'm obeying you. I'm following you. Where's the multiplication effect? We just trust God with that. We just trust God with that. We know it takes time, both in our own lives and in other people's lives. And here's the other thing I'd say about this. Luke ends it, and he just says a hundredfold. When Mark ends the same parable, he says it this way, 30, 60, or a hundredfold. I like Mark's ending a little bit better, because here's what Mark is saying. Like Luke, if you're a follower of Jesus, everyone is fruitful. But Mark is reminding us that not everyone is fruitful at the same level. And so the way I rem remember this is I don't control the breadth of how much fruitfulness I have. The only thing I control is the depth of my walk with God, my, my depth in the word, my depth in prayer, and my commitment to just regularly sow gospel seed randomly, abundantly, generously, wherever I can. The last thing I'll say that the quotes have in common, and I think we see here, is that there is lasting joy. If you were to go interview those three men and you would say, are you glad you said that? But are you glad you lived that out? They would say, it is the residing joy of my life. Amen. And I think as we look at these, the second and third soil, they had joy for a moment, but it faded away. But the joy of seeing God use us and the joy of being good soil and seeing God use us to work in other people's lives is great joy and is eternal joy. And let me pray to that end as we wrap up. God, thank you, Lord, for this picture. God, of what good soil is. And God, thanks, Lord, for these reminders that are so relevant for all of us, Lord. God, how our hearts get hard or distracted or shallow when we just miss out letting your word sink into us. And so, God, we pray, Lord, as a church, Lord, may we go deeper. God, may you help us understand. Oh, God, give us ears to hear. Here's to hear your word today, that, Lord, that you would take us deeper in understanding who you are and all you've done for us. And then, God, we know, Lord, that as we do that, Lord, you use that. Out of that spirit, Lord, you begin to work and use us to bear fruit in other people's lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We uh, always end a service. It's appropriate this morning with four words that sort of send us out on a mission. So I'll invite you to stand. 
uh, for that. But before we do that, I've been through this series, been reading a scripture. This is from Psalm 1. And it talks about the word of God in our lives. And that's what I wanted to end with today. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on whose law he meditates day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, Harbor, we are sent.